real easy to look at a debt that is high five figures and go, this is insurmountable. How do I ever get out of this? It's one step at a time. How you got into debt is how you're going to get out of debt. Money Fit by DRS. It's the Money Fit Show, your weekly podcast about real difficult money stories, overcoming financial obstacles, and tips for building healthy money habits. I'm Todd Christensen, host of the Money Fit Show podcast. What would you do if you woke up one morning to find half your body not working? Today, we meet a man who experienced just such a nightmare and find out how he battled through this first of many challenges. Houston, we have a problem. Sean Tyler Foley is an accomplished film and stage performer and has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Carrie, The Musical Ragtime, and one of our family's favorites, Door to Door. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. And Tyler Foley, it is my pleasure to welcome you to The Money Fit Show. It's my pleasure to be here, Todd. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Good. Well, uh, hopefully you're enjoying your day and and I'm looking forward to this. I want to start with the uh, question we usually ask um, our our opening uh, with our guests to open up. And that is, well, what is it that you most love about what you do for work? Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't give it in one. It's not <laughs> a one thing that I love the most. I uh, I love being able to connect with people. I really love the travel. I love that it's uh, that it's flexible so that I have uh, time freedom to do things with my family. Mm-hmm. I love that my job allows my family to travel with me if I want nice. them to, or if they more specifically, if they want to, I always <laughs> want them to travel with me. My wife is like, <laughs> where are you that. going? Yep. No, I once took her on a romantic <laughs> vacation to, um, Fort McMurray, which is the epicenter <laughs> of the oil sands here in Alberta, because I had a, a three day speaking uh, training thing and uh, and she was on maternity leave. So we packed up me and her and my daughter, who my daughter at the time was uh, four months old. And it was the first road trip that she went on and she was a trooper. Um, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Fort McMurray. All right. Yeah. That's and and that cured her of wanting to join you again, huh? It truly, truly did. But, you know, it, it, I also get to go to some really cool places. Yeah. I um, spoke in Houston and had the extreme pleasure to be able to speak at Mission Control at the yeah. uh, Johnson cool. Space Center. And um, and my at the time, my daughter, and she still is, it was thoroughly obsessed with space and astronauts. Um, my, her grampy uh, one uh-huh. night was they were out on the back of in my mom's backyard and my mom has a beautiful backyard and almost no light pollution there. Right. And they and Grampy and and my daughter were sitting out and he said, Do you see that? That that light going across the sky? And she said, Yeah. yeah. And at this point she was probably 18 months old, uh-huh. two years old. And he said, that's the International Space Station. There's astronauts on it. And as soon as she knew that there were people in space, she was she was hooked oh, and cool. she wanted to be a person in space. So when I was speaking at Mission Control, my only regret was that she didn't have her passport yet. It prompted mm-hmm. me to get her pro- passport. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came back with a whole bunch of NASA swag because, oh, cool. <laughs> because I couldn't go to NASA and not bring it sure. back for her. Sure. Oh, that's cool. I, um so speaking of early children and what they learn to love and are fascinated with at an early age, you um, started acting pretty young yourself, uh, but not necessarily, if I understand correctly, not necessarily because you just wanted to get into it, but your mom um, thought it would be a good idea for you. Can you, can you share that experience if you might? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I did want to get into it. It was, you know, it's, it wasn't a thing that let, let me put it this way. My mom didn't have to force me oh, okay. into right. it in any way. Yeah. Um, but I, I was a born performer. Um, if you ask my mom, I was tap dancing in the womb <laughs> and 
I absolutely just, I love being in front of an audience, which is funny because I'm actually an introvert. A lot of people don't realize that I, I'm, I'm very introverted. I recharge best when I can sit by myself with a good book or, or, you know, watch a good movie on my own. Uh Um, crowds actually are very draining for me, but there's something energizing about being on stage. Uh And, um, I, I just, I love to perform. So being in a crowd is, is draining, but being in front of a crowd is energizing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually find it to be the most, um, extreme version of isolationism. So, (laughs) because you're on stage, particularly in what I do now, I'm on stage alone. Right. Yeah. When I was performing, I had other cast members and I could be around people who I knew. But that's the other thing. The the social interaction on stage is scripted. So, you know, what's coming. <laughs> so it's, that's it's true. It's it's, it's true. not draining. And, and it's it's weird because you can be completely and totally alone in a room with 9000 people. It's <laughs> it's a fascinating experiment. But I, so I've always enjoyed um, performing. And when my father passed away, when I was six years old, mm-hmm. I didn't really outwardly grieve mm-hmm. his passing for all nearly six years, actually. Really? And, wow. uh, you know, while I was six years old, it's, it's really hard to process what death yeah. means, what the finality of it is. It's not uncommon for somebody that young to, you know, kind of not really become a shell, but I think that was, that was the worry I think within the family was that I, I wasn't really expressing the emotions, but I had expressed this interest in stage. And so, uh, partly as an emotional outlet, partly because mom needed something for me to do because she Mm -hmm. was now, uh, you know, a widow and a single mom of two. And my Mm -hmm. sister at the time was two years old and I, she needed something right. Right. Um, to, to get me out of the house. Uh, the other nice thing was, is that, you know, it gave me an opportunity to earn some of my own money at a very, very young age. So, uh, for a a very, a variety and a combination of reasons, I ended up getting introduced into theater and then professional theater at a very, very young age. And, um, it just became, became my life, which has, you know, I, there isn't anything in my life currently um, that I don't owe to growing up in the theater. Huh. Um, you know, even, even my, as weird as it is, even my love of science and my scholastic studies and my, um, achievements scholastically came because of my involvement in the arts. Uh, that's uh, how, how so? Let me ask you that. Um, well, for one, when you are exposed to different thinking, it expands your viewpoint of the world. It expands your viewpoint of self. It expands your knowledge base. Um, and then from a very basic standpoint, when you're a young actor as part of unionized rules, they have to have a tutor on set for you. <laughs> so, uh, while, you know, everybody's rehearsing, I'm sitting there getting, you know, having to do my schoolwork still, Yeah, but I'm getting it with one-on-one attention, which, you know, going through the public school system, even though I, I, again, I've, I'm incredibly blessed with the circumstances to which I was raised. Mm -hmm. The school division that I grew up in, the Foothill School Division is one of the top ranked school divisions in both the province and the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I already had a leg up being in a very, very good school division with incredible educators. But then you amplify that by the fact that every couple of months I would get to do a show or be on a thing where I would get this one-on-one tutelage for anywhere from a few days to a couple of weeks. So if I was Mm -hmm. struggling in one area where, you know, even in a public system, um, teachers can't give you that one-on-one attention all the time. Uh, And so I was able to get that, which helped me. Like I really struggled in school, uh, particularly in the second grade. Uh, I, I could have very easily become uh, an an unengaged student. Yeah. But it was one of the first years that I got, um, I got into theater and I had this, uh, I had a great teacher in Mrs. McGuigan who was very Mm -hmm. concerned. I, I, I'm not dyslexic, but I was dyslexic in my writing. 
at the yeah. time. So okay. D's were D's, uh, P's were Q's right. without a little tick. Right. Um, you know, numbers were backwards. And uh, she was able to then express that to the tutor when I was doing um, the Christmas Carol. Okay. And my tutor was able to work on me and I could get that one-on-one individual attention. So nice. it, it, it's things like that. Even, even the way that I run my business today and my finances comes directly from what I learned in theater because you only have, get so much money. And yeah. when you're a child actor, um, 75% of your earnings minimum have to go into a trust. Uh-huh. And then your parents can access 25% for you know management fees and, and stuff like that. And yeah. my mom was very smart and all she had to do was set up a trust. So yeah. that she could have set it up to um, turn over at 18, 21 or 25. And she chose 25. Nice. You know, and, and just even that decision saved me from, if I, if I'd had my trust turned over to me at 18, I would have a very extensive collection of goalie <laughs> equipment and Lego. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I As it stands, I still have a very extensive <laughs> collection of goalie equipment and Lego. It's just, <laughs> I purchased it, uh, you know, cash. <laughs> Differently. Uh, let me ask you about okay so but you're 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 a young you're a you're a kid you're you're 6 7 8 10 years old 12 years old you're earning like you say cash you're earning money mm-hmm. what was one of your earliest memories around money um getting a wallet for christmas mm-hmm. from my uncle brian hmm. it was a, a a green wallet and inside of it there was 20 dollars and at the time, I, I loved collecting stamps. Uh-huh. And, and one of the reasons I liked collecting stamps was a stamp is always a stamp. It, right? It's actually a, a form of currency. Right. right. You, you, I pay 35 cents for a stamp. The 35 cents is legally printed and minted. So if I take that back unused to the post office, I can trade that in for... 35 cents. Right. And because some things are rare and collectible, that 35 cents could actually grow. One of the first um, stamps I ever collected was a, um, a rare misprint of a Queen Victoria stamp, a Canadian Queen Victoria stamp mm-hmm. from uh, like 19, 19 or 18, 1897. 1897. It was supposed to be this green this forest green and they did a misprint where they did like a thousand in uh, or something like that in this off mint green instead of forest green. And I, I, yeah. And I knew that it, that that was the case. And I saw this in like a secondhand shop, like there was a a town over um, there was this pawn shop and and he had a whole bunch of stamps and, and it was in a loose bag of uh like you got 50 stamps for five bucks or something like oh, that yeah. and i could see it on the front and i was like bam i want that and at the time i think it was listed in the in the catalog at like 200 bucks or something like oh, that wow. wow and so that was that's kind of my first impression of money was getting this uh 20 bill from my uncle uh-huh. and collecting stamps and knowing that i wanted to buy it buy stamps with that 20 dollars and going to this pawn shop and finding this amazing deal. And that's actually happened to me again, too. So again, uh, I was very scholastic and uh, had a great peer group of friends who also liked to study. And in my junior high years in the ninth grade, no, it was the seventh grade. It was the first year we were exempted. Uh, I was, because of my marks, I had straight A's. Yeah. Uh, I was exempt from having to write my final exams. Okay. And so my friends, uh, Liam Stone and David Graham and I, uh, David's mom drove us into Calgary, which is the nearest city to us. Yeah. And like, we grew up in a small town about half hour South of Calgary uh-huh. and dropped us off at South center mall. And she just let these 12 year olds loose <laughs> in the mall for a half day. And we'd, we'd come back and meet her. Oh, and, um, there upper deck trading cards. I I don't know what they are still, but at the time were like the premier Mm -hmm. trading card, sport card, collector Mm -hmm. card. And they were like four bucks a pack. And this was in the early, early nineties. They were four bucks a pack. 
and they so a box of 20 should have been 80 bucks right but somebody somewhere had priced them as though they were tops trading cards uh-huh. and so it was 20 bucks and my mom had again given me 20 dollar bill and said spend it on whatever you want and so we didn't have any tax at the time so uh-huh. 20 bucks was 20 bucks and i yeah. saw this cart and i'm like well i'm buying that so i did i went and I bought the pack. And then instead of opening them up, I sold them to all my friends for $2 a pack. <laughs> and then I had $40. And then I tried going back to buy another set and they'd figured out their mistake. And they were the like too late back up to 80 bucks. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you are on your way to becoming Warren Buffett, uh, again, <laughs> turning, turning a, a few bucks into a lot more, uh, a lot more. Sorry, uh, a few a few loonies into into yeah. a lot more, right? Yeah. And um, so now, fast forward a few years, and it's New Year's. From what I understand, New Year's Eve in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, you're junior, senior, or or high school, uh, something. Yeah, I that at that point I would have been in my senior year. I was yeah. just yeah, I was midway through my senior year. And you're and you're you're enjoying acting. You're in a involved in probably the, the high school. I don't know the musical or a play or I mean yeah just musical. Drama. We yeah. So I went to a fine arts high school. So not yeah. only was I involved in the musical, but it performing in said musical yeah. was a requirement for me to graduate. It, right. If I didn't do it, I didn't actually graduate from the school. Yeah. yeah but New Year's New Year's Day, nineteen ninety. Seven, Seven, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a different morning for you when you woke yeah. up. Yeah, I uh, had been the designated driver for all my friends the uh, evening prior for mm-hmm. you know New Year's celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, I still don't really drink uh, that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to say that I'm a social drinker implies that I'm social. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like, I would, I, I probably have. Uh, one or two drinks over the course of a year, as opposed to a month or a week. Right. Right. Um, just, it's never been a, a thing that, you know, I don't have any moral qualm or, or, or reason for not drinking. It's just not a thing that I enjoy. Right. And so I've always been happy to be the designated driver. It's one of those things that it's just a, a role that I naturally took on. So I was right. shuttling all my friends around, got home around four in the morning, went to bed. Um, Woke up, you know, as most teenagers do, particularly after a long night around yeah. probably 10 or 11 in the morning, yeah. maybe even close to noon. Okay. And, uh, and the left side of my body didn't work. Yeah. It was, no, it, it, uh, it was just, it was numb. Uh, it's not even numb. Numb implies that you can feel a thing. I literally could feel nothing. Hmm. And I had a hard time, um, moving my extremities my my face uh was limp uh very very much like i'd had a stroke yeah um i couldn't i couldn't feel anything um i remember when we were doing physiotherapy uh my doctor would take a pinwheel and um run it over various parts of my body and um it was very hemispherical so if we were running it over the uh, right side I could feel the little pricks in the wheel. Yeah. It would go and you'd go yep. ow, 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 ow. And then as soon as it would cross the bridge of my nose or over my chest, you know, if you bridge over yeah. the sternum um, or even just doing left hand, right hand and running it across the palms, I, I couldn't feel anything on the left side of my body. <sighs> and uh, that was, you know, particularly as a senior in high school, because um, it, it left my face quite disfigured for uh, a great deal of time and they to this day they still don't know what i had if it was a, a mini stroke or a stroke or a bell's palsy if it was a stroke i shouldn't have been able to recuperate the way that i did if it was a bell's palsy it shouldn't have affected the rest of my body the way that it did mm-hmm. um i'm kind of a, a medical mystery that mm-hmm. way i've had a couple of people try to diagnose it you know years later as part of a study um, but without being able to go back and check things there, it's just theory yeah. and guesses. We think right. you might've had this. 
um, yeah. explain these symptoms because we've seen it in other places, but I don't, you know, I've never gotten any clear diagnosis. What I do know is that I had to drop out of the musical because mm. when you can't, particularly that musical was uh, a very tap dance intensive uh, performance. Yeah. Um, remember which one like it was? Uh, yeah. 42nd street. Okay. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Or was it, no, it was crazy for you. Crazy for you. Okay. Um, but both have, you know, both of those are very tap intensive. Well, I'd say 42nd right. streets more, but crazy for you. We still had a lot of tap and, um, a lot of syncopation with it. Um, who could ask for anything more is one of the more famous yeah, songs a, yeah. out of that. Okay. Know that one. And, um, I, yeah, I so I had to withdraw, which sucks because again, fine arts high school, yeah. if I want to graduate from the fine arts high school, I have to graduate from performing arts 35 which means you have to do the musical and I wasn't able to do that. So I technically, I actually didn't graduate from my fine arts high school. I got my GED and was able to get a high school diploma, but I never actually ended up graduating from the school that I attended. Um, They wanted me to come back for the following year. um, But I also had made a commitment to myself that I wanted to, go and do this professionally. And I wasn't sticking around my small town for another year. I didn't want to be that guy, you know, the, um, Oh, who plays him in days and confuse. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it doesn't matter. Famous actor. And the fact that I can't think of it right now is, is a, (laughs) is a tragedy amongst itself. But, um, McConaughey, What's his oh, Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Matthew yeah. McConaughey plays this overage guy who just hangs around all of the high school kids. And that's all I could think because Dazed and Confused to come <laughs> out a few years earlier from me yeah. graduating. And I was like, I am not going to be Matthew McConaughey sitting in, in high school yeah. uh, w- with this. So I, I had made a commitment that I was going out to Vancouver, which became uh, a double down thing because that was a commitment that I'd kind of made to myself um, very early. Like this was before the medical incident, this was before graduating. This was before having to withdraw. I was going to mm-hmm. go to Vancouver to be, to be an actor. And mm-hmm. so when I had to withdraw from the show, then that became the goal. I'm like, well, I can't do the show, but uh, I'm, I, I've got to find a way to get out to Vancouver to see right. if I can make this work. And I'm not letting this medical incident uh, be the reason why I can't do it. So yeah. it kind of became my sole focus to get my face working again and it took nearly a year of just so many tests and prodding Mm. and poking and all kinds of different treatments the nice thing is is because they didn't know what i had um anything could potentially cure it (laughs) (laughs) so i was doing physiotherapy i was doing uh traditional acupuncture laser acupuncture chiropractic massage uh taking western pharmaceuticals taking eastern medicines and herbs uh-huh. and um i saw some great progress within about six months enough that i was able to move out to vancouver and then with within the year um only i can see the difference between me before and after that was after just after just one year yeah nice yeah. you I, I think you you've you've said uh that um one of your your kind of mentors, life mentors. He was one of your doctors. Was it a Dr. Corbett? Dr. Uh, Bob Corbett, Dr. Bob and Joanne Corbett and their daughter, Vanda Corbett, all (laughs) doctors, Corbett, um, all amazing human beings. And Bob and Joanne, um, independently and together, I owe a a great life debt to for not only working on me um, physically, Mm-hmm. but um, mentally and emotionally as well. They, they took time to take care of my physical, psychological and social well-being in a way that I don't think any other doctor would have. Yeah. Um, it helped that I was best friends with their daughter uh, who <laughs> yeah, herself nice. went, has had many medical issues and has gone on to be an incredible practitioner herself. Yeah. Um, but um, they, you know, Bob is the reason I, became a Mason and, uh-huh. you know, Masons take good men and make them better kids. Uh-huh. And he's, he's who introduced me to Dr. John Martini and, um, and got me into a, a personal development. 
you know, mm-hmm. and if it weren't for that introduction, I certainly wouldn't be working with the power of success group today because yeah. that set me on a, on a path to, to be involved in a lot of these large uh, seminars and, and understanding their inner workings and, and wanting to do that as work. So again, you know, the dominoes, they look like they were very oddly stacked if you look forward, mm-hmm. but if you look backwards, it, it makes sense exactly how they all fell. So in, you know, for a lot of a lot of our listeners who might be facing a really unknown future and not knowing how to proceed, um, I think that was part of your part of what you went through is you did not know what the prognosis was since nobody knew what what was what the issue was, right? Mm-hmm. How does that not knowing how things are going to turn out? How does that affect you? Well, I think it depends on how you approach it. Right. There's a yin and a yang to the world. Again, one of the most great, one of the greatest gifts I learned from Dr. John Demartini, um, that it's a very well-known and common physics principle for every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction. And I think mm-hmm. people for, think that, you know, you have cause and effect and you do, but you, I think people forget the opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. that you you can choose that path so i can look at an unknown and say it's terrifying and scary or i can look at an unknown and i can say it's exciting and full of possibilities and i can either go towards it or shrink away from it mm-hmm. the choice is ours and i am not saying that i do it all the time there are times where i definitely shrink away from choices i don't want to look at them i want to bury my head in the sands um, 2015 was one of those times where I wanted to bury my head in the sand. My wife and I were doing very, very well for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well into the six figures as a, as an annual household income. Right. And, um, you know, my wife is an unbelievably accomplished human, especially for her age, She's six years younger than me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, you know, she is very often the, financial support in our household. Um, mm-hmm. She earns a very steady, very significant wage. And it's always my goal within the year to either match and or exceed it. <laughs> right. You know, and there right. are years when I do no ego and there, we go, though, right? Yeah. We go, yay. <laughs> well, it's not, a, it, well, it's a bit of an ego thing. I'm not going to lie. It's a bit of an ego <laughs> thing, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's a fun thing for it's a us. Partnership right? ego. It's a partnership together thing. Yeah. Where, where, Hey, look, I can, I can do this thing that I love and still make the kind of money that you make. And then there are years, uh, you know, two years ago in particular, where that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, for me, when your most of your business model is based around being able to travel to different destinations and speak to people in a very congested area, yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, 2020 was a poor year for me. And that, that sucked too, because at the beginning of the year in January, I had contracts signed that would have equated to over $150,000 of income into the business, which would have equated to approximately ninety dollars to $110,000 personally to me, mm-hmm. uh, uh, depending on how we did the accounting that year. And there and would have been some variables the there. The, that was just at the yeah, start of the year. That was, that was January. This January, I had the contract signed and I had my schedule out too. I had my schedule um, from January to November. And I got the first two uh, gigs in, in January and um, February. And then March came and everything, yeah. every, literally every other contract that I had fizzled. And I lost 85% of my income that year right then. And then had to play that game that everybody else had to play with the pivot. Yeah. And in 2015... Uh, I was I was able to get through 2020 because of the lessons I learned in 2015. 2015, um, my wife and I both gainfully employed. I wasn't self-employed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, based on, you know, very steady track record, right? Good credit. Banks want to give you money. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, there was no bubble and everything was going up. And uh, my wife worked for a home builder. And they gave her an unbelievable deal to be able to build the house of her dreams. Mm -hmm. So late 2014, she sketched up what is 
to this day, still the greatest house I've ever lived in. <laughs> um, and she, you know, we got it built, got it. And because she knew everybody and knew how to push the right buttons and whip the right horses, right. Uh, she got that build done in just over three months. We took uh-huh. possession um, late 2014. Or no, it was 2015. It was. It was. Uh, we would have taken possession of the house September 25th. No, it was September 2014, and then February 5th, 2015. I was laid off, and we found out that we were three months, four months pregnant at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jen had to go on maternity leave, which means no money, no income. I wasn't making any money. We had a mortgage that, and we, I, you know, we were good. We were good. We didn't live beyond our means. Right. We are. We were qualified for a mortgage of X, and we divided it by two, wow. and went this way. If one of us loses our job, or if, <laughs> right, that we I could still won. afford it. Yeah. If if one of us loses, what are the chances job, you both are out of out of work? Exactly. So we, you know, we we had thought ahead, and you know, we had savings. And that savings managed to get us through the rest of 2015. But in 2016, you know, we had at that point moved out of the house and to a very, very small rental. Uh, we were Airbnb the house, trying to generate revenue through it so that the house was sustaining itself and paying itself, just trying to keep it. Right. And, and we just, we couldn't make it work. And mm. in um, May of 2016, the house turned over to its new. Oh. owners who were very aggressive. And the other thing is too, the housing market collapsed in, yeah. at the end of 2015. So where we, we had basically put all of our savings into the down payment on the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was gone. We didn't get that back. We just broke even with the bank. I still remember getting um, the check from our uh, realtor via the lawyer for the final accounting after legal fees and everything uh, was paid for the um, realtor fees, legal fees, all the transactions, the penalty on our mortgage, because it was a five-year mortgage, yeah. uh, which was the biggest I- impact on us and getting a check for $17 <laughs> and laughing because my residual checks from movies are bigger than the check we got back from what is supposed to be one of the largest financial transactions of your life. <sighs> Yeah. Uh, $17 I got back and all I could do was look at my wife who was in, in tears and say, at least we didn't owe them money. That's true. And, and, and just, and watch, uh, watch it away. In fact, my wife, uh, has never been back to the community where that house is. She refuses to go back there. And this, Uh we're talking six years later, she, she won't go back. Um, but you know what, so what's the lesson that you, I mean, you guys had already living by the rules. You were, you know, you weren't trying to over, uh, over in debt yourself. But so what lesson could you take from that for the end use in 2020 when COVID came along? Well, real easy. So um, we got smart and said, okay, well, if you can't do 50%, do 25. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the house that we purchased um, more specifically, the house that I bought back. I, the house that we live in now, I originally purchased with my uncle in 2007. Mm-hmm. He bought me out for it in 2010 so that my wife and I could get married yeah. and get our first condo. Um, I purchased back from him. And one of the reasons that it was such an attractive purchase was again, um, the market was starting to heat up mm-hmm. again. Um, but I was able to purchase it for, you know, 2007 prices plus a mortgage that had been paid off for 13 years. My uncle wasn't looking to make a profit off of it. Mm -hmm. And I had already paid in a little bit. And so I knew what the finances were. That was the other thing. I knew, I knew where the house was at and the house needed repairs too. It had, we had used it as a rental. Neither my uncle or I had lived in it for a while. And then my uncle had moved back into it. Uh, for the last two years before we took it over and yeah. it had been abused by tenants. So uh-huh. it needed a lot of work. Again, I have a wife who is well-connected and was able to get that work done quickly and economically. But the house, you know, if he'd have sold it to somebody else, it would have cost him more than to sell it to us. So 
we got a really good deal and one where I could, uh, we could go on half of one of our incomes and still sustain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it was just, you know, paring down, being really, really smart. And, and then in COVID, recognizing that, hey, some of these luxuries that we have, we can't have anymore. And so dinner's out. And the nice thing, great thing about COVID, you couldn't go out for dinner anyway, if you <laughs> right. wanted to. Right. So it was really easy to, you know, pare down, be making the meals at home, do all those things that were right. But it's still, you know, 2020 was okay. 2021 was a different story. Um, I've run my business cash for six years. Mm-hmm. And 2021 was the first year that I had to do deficit spending. Mm. And it still has me very uneasy, very uncomfortable because I have a plan on how to pay it back. Right. And that plan is very much contingent on things going 80% perfect. And right. so far, I've gotten about 40. Mm-hmm. You know, I was supposed to be speaking in Phoenix on the 12th. I was supposed to be doing my own event, the large three and a half day event in. Uh, Las Vegas on the 24th, 25th, 26th of May. Um, and those both got canceled. So I wasn't able mm-hmm. to do those. So May came and went and I didn't do those, those gigs. Yeah. Um, Vegas currently is postponed into October. So theoretically we'll go forward. Right. But I don't know that it will. And a lot of my, um, annual projection is based on the income that will come from that event. Like all these other places that I'm speaking at are designed yeah. to funnel people into that event. And then we have 300 to 350 participants who are paying anywhere from $1,500 to $3,500 to come and play with me for three days to right. learn how to be better public speakers and grow their businesses through this through this art form of getting in front and selling to many, you know, being more efficient with your time and, and really understanding your message and, and connecting your business to your values and then connecting you and your values to your ideal um, target audience. Like all of those things I need to teach it. Like it, it doesn't translate well uh, virtually. So I've, I've created, yeah. you know, the last two years, everybody's pivoted virtual and I've done some virtual stuff and we have a free Facebook group called endless stages where people can come in and, and do a little bit, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem of having, of getting people to feel comfortable speaking in front of other people. Right. <laughs> like you need the people. <laughs> so right. I, you know, all of this, all of my uh, projections and everything hinge on these one or two events each year. And if the big events don't go all all the rest of the the finances are in disarray. So again, let's let's play with that twenty five percent and let's over project, yeah. right? And one of the greatest uh, gifts that I've had is that I do have my wife, who is a very steady financial influence, mm-hmm. and uh, um, we won't be going on that leave ever again. So that's a that's a bonus. <laughs> so we we you know we know where we're at and we can uh, budget. Uh, conservatively each each month and, and really push it forward that way. Yeah. So, you know, looking back uh, throughout your, your life, um, you know, there's, you've gone through some pretty difficult moments, um, some of which could have immediate and long-term financial effects. Um, and yet it, you're still looking to expand and it's a, it's a risk to run your own business um, and all that. But that's one of the things that I've noticed of, of people who are financially stable, successful in their careers is they are willing to take that risk. Where does that, where do you think that comes from? Is that just something you were born with or you work on it regularly? Uh, column A, column B. I think part of it too, is I don't see it as risk. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think it's riskier pack of cards that you're like, Hey, I can turn this into a lot more than 20 bucks. Well, that's the thing. Like there's a, there's an intrinsic value there, right? A, st- a stamp is a stamp is a stamp. It's always going to be worth their, you know, if I pay a yeah. dollar for a stamp, it is worth a dollar. Like it yeah. doesn't, there is no decrease. There's no depreciation in that. 
it may not increase in value. It may still be a dollar 10 years from now, but it will always be worth a dollar, which means that it did appreciate because with inflation, that dollar at least has met inflation. Mm-hmm. There's very few things right now, even in the, our current market, that are meeting inflation. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the dollar locks in the dollar in a, in a postage stamp. The the biz the sports cards uh, have this element of of collectible, especially if they're unopened, because that's there's other people who are willing to gamble on the fact that they may find a rare card inside mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I'm not that person. I know that this sells for. $4. I purchased it for a dollar, which means I could sell it from anywhere from a dollar to $4 and still receive a profit. And there are some crazy people out there who will pay more than the $4 on the odd chance that they can, they can find a 20 or $30 bill inside of it. Yeah. So I just, I'm not that person who's going to gamble on the unsealed package, but I am the person who's going to buy something on sale mm-hmm. and turn around and, and sell it. Uh, for me, running my own business, I think is less of a risk than you know, I was laid off three times in 2014 mm. and still didn't see the writing on the wall. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I got laid off from this job, but oh, they're a smaller construction firm. They've had all of the big projects that they were doing have collapsed. So obviously they don't do it. So now I'm going to go and work for this company. Oh, but this company only needed me temporarily. So it's not really a layoff. It was always going to be just a temporary gig. And now I'm hired onto this new company and, you know, they're big and they're going through an expansion and they're being, uh, they're buying out other companies. So obviously I should be able to sustain this job because they're, they're expanding as opposed to contracting. Oh, with this new purchase now, my job is obsolete and uh, I'm out the door. Yeah. And then at that point, the economy was collapsing along with everything else. So mm-hmm. not only could I, was I laid off for the third time in a year, but everybody else is getting laid off. And where I formerly had the qualifications to be getting in the door and getting these interviews, now you had two, three, 400 people applying for a single job, most of them with significantly more experience than me. And I had to really look at it and go, what, what's the risk? Keep trying to work for somebody else who controls both my paycheck, my livelihood, my time, and everything? Like I'm beholden mm-hmm. to somebody or I can be beholden to myself and I can dictate my time. I may not be able to dictate the full wage, but I can definitely set my wage, you know? And yeah. the, and it's funny over the, and it's a principle that I always knew. Like I remember acting uh, from, you know, I moved out to Vancouver at 17 and it was in the industry until I was 25 before I retired. And I never made more annually, you know, filing my income tax to the government saying, this is how much I made in the last year. I never made more working nine to five for a quote unquote traditional employer and having a quote unquote real job Uh than I did when I was acting until I was almost a decade past my retiring from acting. I think I was 35 before I finally made more from a quote unquote real job. Uh And that and the the irony is is at that point it was in a business that i had partnered with huh. i didn't own it yet but i was partners in a business so at that point i had moved almost to self employment i was still drawing a regular paycheck but it was my first business so yeah. it, it just at that point i was like this working for other people is is never going to get me ahead ever and yeah. so i think personally the bigger risk is Sticking in that nine to five and and being beholden to somebody else for everything, like they control your time, they control your money, uh, they 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 dictate where you can and can't go, like all of those things. And you know, I'm also uh, believe in my own freedoms. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, all, everything about working uh, nine to five for for somebody else is is terrifies me. That to me is scary and risky. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tyler Foley, I, I, I appreciate the chance we've had to, to talk and, and to go over some of the experiences you've had and, and share them with, with the audience. They can uh, hopefully what I'm what I'm I'm hearing is, uh, you know, come what may you, there's whether you have a plan or not, yeah, plan is better, mm-hmm. but there's there's opportunities to uh, to move on and, and improve. You've got the power to speak naked out. Yeah. Uh, book that that just came out did it come out in 2021 or 
yes and no. I originally self-published the book in 2019. Uh-huh. And, you know, just the way that most self-published people do push it out on Kindle. Um, yep. I was just lucky that I happened to have these platforms where I could sell it to mul- masses uh, on occasion. Mm-hmm. And in one of the seminars that I was giving, I had the great um, privilege to follow Les Brown. And um, it, it, I, to mm-hmm. this day, I'm still not sure exactly how that happened, but it is <laughs> the way that it was. So I had Les's uh, primed audience and that man leaves an audience wanting more. And I was the more that came. And uh, a gentleman that was sitting in the audience happened to run a publishing company and uh, reached out to me and said, listen, this book is really great. I noticed that uh, it, it's self-published. Would you be interested in and doing it through a traditional publisher. Nice. And uh, next thing I knew, Morgan James had picked up the book and and is now my official publisher and has done a really good job actually of taking what was a, a half-baked attempt at self-publishing and make it a fully fleshed out and very professional looking book that is now available in stores worldwide. Nice. So. Nice. We'll make sure to put a link to that, uh, to your book in our uh, show notes here so, and, and recommend our listeners check that out. Tyler, how else can uh, our audience connect with you online? Uh, best place to go is uh, straight to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. <laughs> S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, seantylerfoley.com. And uh, we've got everything there. Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram. So whatever is is your favorite social platform, you can click the links there. You can also right on the front of the landing page above the fold is, uh, an offer to come into the endless stages, Facebook group. So they can, they can get in there. If anybody wants to come and train with me for free every Tuesday at noon Pacific three Eastern, I come live for 20 minutes every Tuesday. And, uh, we have Tuesday's tips where I train people how to be better public speakers and go over the ins and outs that most the, you can go to Toastmasters and learn how to give a really good speech, right? Or you can come and hang out with me and learn how to, you know, really impact and engage an audience. And the nice. two are are drastically different. So, like that. Well, what is one uh, one practical financial personal finance tip or or lesson that you'd like to share with our our listeners today? Honestly, it's one that I learned um, from uh, a wonderful woman that I had the privilege of working with for a few years, Erin Sky Kelly. She has a best-selling book out called Get the Hell Out of Debt. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she uh, gave to me and makes available actually to everybody is um, a net worth tracker. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how when you start tracking where the... It's not a budgeting tool. Right. So I, right? The budget's always good. But what the net worth tracker is, is this is how much you were worth last month. This is Mm -hmm. how much you're worth this month. And the goal is, is just to have it going in the positive. You know, you don't want it to be going into the negative. And it was funny when I started tracking that, because there's days where, you know, the credit cards are maxed out and I'm wondering how we're going to pay for school and how we're going to pay for this. And, you know, what are we going to do? Because my money isn't coming in for 60 to 90 days because I don't get paid from the events until 60 to 90 days out. So I have mm-hmm. all of this upfront expenditure. <laughs> you know, I got to yeah. fly there. I got to get there, particularly if the event isn't covering it. Or if I've had to pay to speak at the event with the promise that I can sell from stage and mm-hmm. then recoup my investment. Uh, so, you know, it, I, the, I have a lot of capital expenditure at the beginning of the year that then comes back in at the end of the year and delayed return, real delayed returns. But if I can look at that net worth tracker and go, Hey, I was, you know, we increased our net worth by $5 this month. May not sound like much. It's better than going the other direction, but it's going better than going the other direction. And then there's, you know, particularly with the nature of my work and the nature of our household finances, you know, I get to December and then January, February, and all that money from the year prior starts coming in. Mm-hmm. And then you see those great leaps and bounds. And then that's rewarding. And, and it's taking the time to acknowledge your accomplishments because it's real easy to hang your head. It's real easy to look at a debt that is 
high five figures, six figures, Mm -hmm. seven figures and go, this is insurmountable. How do I ever get out of this? And like anything else, it's one step at a time. How you got into debt is how you're going to get out of debt. And I find that net worth tracking is one of those quick ways to have a psychological affirmation that I'm heading in the right direction because otherwise the numbers look daunting and overwhelming. And in, in being able to do that, it, first of all, it makes you feel good because you can say, Hey, my net worth is X. And a lot of people can't actually even say that they don't know what their net worth is. So just being able to say, I am worth this amount of money mm-hmm. or better yet, just look at the asset column. Do you realize we have this amount of assets right. in our life? That's good. Yeah. We're deficit spending to get those assets yeah. and we got to yeah. take care of this. But these are our assets. So let's, let's at least celebrate that. It's cel- I find that celebrating the positives are, are the only way to get through anything in life. Forget finances, anything that you're co- overcoming. Yeah. You know, um, you're tr- struggling to lose weight. Celebrate every pound that comes off. Amen. That's celebrate every on. pound that doesn't come back on. <laughs> yeah. You may be at stasis. Like I remember um, I had to get off the COVID belly and I, I reached my plateau. And my plateau is not what it used to be when I was younger. And I need to recognize that that is not what I used to be. I'm never going to get back down to 135, (sighs) you know, but my stasis right now is apparently about 142. I am five foot eight and I'm comfortable with that. And so I can celebrate the fact that I'm not putting on weight now. I don't have to celebrate not getting it off. I'm just not putting it on. So sometimes the celebration is, Hey, congratulations. You didn't add anything to your debt. Yeah. Good job. High five. Well, I love, and, I love this. Uh, I love these tips. I mean, the, uh, the tracking your progress and, um, I mean, I, I, I would assume, you know, you've, you've done that not just financially, but, uh, uh, you know, back, you know, getting feeling back in a, in a toe or in a finger or, uh, after, after your 17 year old self had to deal with that part of your life. And yeah. And the tracking. first time I was able to brush my teeth without drooling. <laughs> I celebrated because yeah. that took, that took three months where I had to brush using two hands, oh, one yeah. to keep my mouth shut and one to uh, yep. manipulate the toothbrush. Um, when I could start eating things that weren't liquid again, were, you know, the, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first time I could actually, you know, and even uh, being able to measure hemispherically across my face. Yeah. yeah. Um, measured progress is w- and celebrating the wins and the successes. I think that's great uh, idea for uh, listeners who are dealing with uh, with debts that uh, yeah it's you may not be dealing with them as fast as you want but are you heading in the right direction that's you want to look for patterns not not just snapshots so hey uh, Sean Tyler Foley thank you so much for your time with us today I enjoyed the conversation enjoyed learning more about you and your, and what you do I will put a lot of this information in uh, show notes. But I do, I do thank you for, for being with us today. Oh, Todd, it was a pleasure to be on the Money Fit Show. But for my, thank you. You were very welcome. For our listeners, do check out our podcast archives at moneyfit.org slash podcast. And uh, please do subscribe. Click the like, like button. Share this with uh, somebody else uh, and uh, help increase our availability to the others who can benefit here. And until the next time, please stay Money Fit. And stay well. 